Instead, we should seek your kingdom and your justice first before everything else. How do we do that, Lord? We ask you to show us from your word today. In the midst of lots of confusion, we need clarity from you. So we ask you to show that to us now as we open your word. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and uh, it's great to be with the family today, um, and great to, yeah, all, all of, uh, everything's been good so far, so pray that it goes well from here out, okay? So, now, um, so 2019 is our year of living justice, and reminding you of that, and uh, some of the things we set up for that, and, and we talked about how Um, And we talked about living just and right, talked about how justice and righteousness are really synonyms. One comes from uh, Latin, one comes from Anglo-Saxon, but they they really have similar um, things. And in Scripture, sometimes it's translated righteousness, sometimes justice, but we have a connotation that kind of divides those things into two different things. But in Scripture, they're really together. And we want to talk some more about that today as we um, look into things. We talked about how 2018 was a year of justice, according to Merriam-Webster. A lot of things were happening. This was the picture they had there. Um, who is that? Lady Justice. Well, who's Lady Justice? Anybody know? Why does she have a blindfold on? Justice is blind. I thought love was blind. Oh, that too. Okay. Um, <laughs> Why, why would she be blind? And worse yet, it doesn't show, in her other hand, she has a sword. So somebody who's blind with a sword is kind of a scary thing, really, when you think about it. Um, and what's with the balance thing? Fairness. Okay, equality, that, it, that it's uh, just scales. Um, we'll look at the, we'll talk a little bit more about where that blindness idea comes from. But... Um, I want to ask you something. What are some recent examples of lack of justice or injustice, okay? I want you to think about, you know, the last 10 years. It doesn't have to be the last 10 days, but it can be that too. Think about that for a minute and, um, and maybe related to uh, the, ju- the judicial system or, or some other things like that or whatever. Um, what are some examples? Think about it for a minute and then I want you to tell somebody next to you what you thought of. It can be personal if you want it to be, if you want to share that. Uh, it can be at your work. It can be uh, in our city. It can be... You might have to slide over to find somebody to talk to. Or turn around or... Okay, who's got an example for us? Oh, no examples. I guess we haven't really had any. Uh, things are going well. Everything's just, everything's fair. Abortion, okay? Philandro Castile, okay? Silencing Christian believers in academic situations. Right, okay. You can say anything but not, yep. So can you uh, spit it louder? Okay. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's fair myself. I enjoyed it when he was head pastor. Okay. 
persecution of the Rohingya. Okay, good. South Sudan, Uganda. South Sudan, Uganda. All kinds of places you get to travel and try to uh, bring some reconciliation. Yeah. ISIS. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So killing innocent people wherever that's happening, right? Whether that's in our city or it's in it's with ISIS or it's uh, right. Wall Street. Okay. Disrespect. Okay. All right. The people are not respected the way they should be. Why aren't they respected the way they should be? The law in general? Okay. Sometimes disrespect some people more than other people. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, that's a good list. We could keep going, right? And, uh, and you're all going, I thought this is a place where I could be comfortable. And here, you're bringing up all these things that uh, we get bombarded with all the time. Is church a place where we get to insulate ourselves from everything that's going on out there? Or is church a place we get perspective and power and an ability to maybe influence things out there? at our work or, or, or wherever we're doing things, however we're doing things. Um, so I want to talk about, um, so let, let's go back to our star of justice model um, because I want, I want us to center on the biblical understanding of justice and righteousness because a lot of people get focused on particular sides of it so, and, and, and get like to crank up the crank up the fear or whatever, right? So some people are focused on the guilty are not being punished. And people who are breaking the law need to be punished. And then other people say innocent people are being punished. And there's there's you know blood on the ground from innocent people being punished. And and so there's people get on different sides of things and then they get on a bandwagon. As if these issues are simple. Right? As if immigration is a simple issue or illegal immigration is a simple thing. Some people are like, we got to get all those illegals out of here. That's not right. They're breaking the law. Other people are like, hey, there's all kinds of people who are at the border who need help and they're, they're uh, innocent people who are being hurt. Those are both true, right? Can't we have both of those? Is, can we make a way for people to pay a fine and, and figure out a way to become legal? Can we find a way to to uh, help people who are really suffering from other places? Could we help people even other places? So you're all, you're all getting nervous. I got nervous too. Okay, so let's get, I'll tell you why. So we're looking at this star of justice involves a standard. And the standard is a lot of what we're talking about is we're looking through the Torah, the look of the first five books of Moses, is a lot about the standard and also about the conduct that's supposed to line up with that standard. It's supposed to be about retributive justice. In other words, bringing punishment to those who the guilty should be punished. It's also about distributive. Everybody should eat. Everybody should have access to to things, right? Distributing justice. And it's also about forensic justice or what happens, say, in the court system, in the judiciary. And above all, all of that has to be done justly or with fairness in all those situations. And what happens is people get really upset and focused on one of these, right? And then somebody else is focused on another one. And they start yelling at each other as if the issues are simple. And they're not, right? And so, um, and some people get, get all concerned about justice and social justice. And people say, but what about righteousness and, and a good relationship with God? Yes! According to Scripture, Justice with God and justice with people go together because he is the just God who's the one who brings justice. You're not going to have it without that. And so they go together. Personal ethics and righteousness go together with system-wide ethics and righteousness. They have to, we have to have both. And some people try to focus on one or the other. You've got to have them all. 
You can't do it without all of it. And so we get um, hung up on saying, pounding the pulpit on one thing, and then somebody else says, well, but what about this thing? Yes. Okay? Abortion, yes. Immigration, yes. All of those are issues we need to deal with. Okay? Philander Castile, yes. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. Every lives matter. No, the marginalized need to be especially taken care of. All of those things are important. So um, now everybody's really quiet. So I didn't want to preach about this. Honestly. I heard Pastor Andrew's sermon last week, and, and I heard that, and it actually was a really message to me. We were in Deuteronomy 17, 18 in there, and it was a message to me. It said, you know what? Jesus is the one who fulfills all of this. And, and, um, and I was like, yes, you know, I don't have what it takes to be a lead pastor, but Jesus is our shepherd. I don't have what it takes to be a husband and a father the way I want to be. I don't have what it takes to be a team leading that ministry is missionary ministry. I don't have what it takes, but Jesus is our hope. I was like, yes, that's great. And all that stuff about being a good leader and being a good follower. And I, and I went to the next section, and then I realized that it connects with the section that Andrew has in Deuteronomy. And so I thought, well, I'll, we'll talk about that some more, and we'll just give some practical examples that good leadership and good followership. And then I dug in some more, and, and then it started bringing me to this stuff that's uncomfortable. Because everything he said was good, but, it, but there's more there too. And um, so I, I dug in. So I, since I don't footnote everything, I just want you to know these are some of the things I've been reading. My NIV study Bible, my NLT study Bible. Dan Block is what is my teacher. Retired now, but he's got a great new commentary. Chris Wright. Chester Wood, who is my teacher, is retired. He's got 800 pages of uh, commentary on the law. So I've been trying to figure this stuff out. And the, the problem was the text keeps dragging me into this other stuff that I don't want to talk about. Okay? It's not that I want to talk about this stuff. It's just that it seems like the Bible is talking about this stuff. And the Bible doesn't let me have my little Christian, um, you know, my Christian life, and then put that aside and do my life. It want, God wants to, like, control my whole life. Not only my life, but our life and, the, and the, the systems that we're part of, and not just my individual. That's really uncomfortable. Because it drags me into all this stuff that I don't know the answers for. You just, answered, you just mentioned all these problems. I have no idea how to answer all those problems. Not even one of them. But Scripture has some stuff to say. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to get back, in order to get the answers to Scripture, we can't come just with our questions right now and say, is this, can I find something in Scripture that sort of says something about that? You actually take some digging in and figuring out what was their issue at that time and what would really get into that and what, what's a comparable issue for us now? So back to Deuteronomy. You remember that we were, we were looking at Deuteronomy. We're looking at actually all the books of the law, we started with this great story about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, and then Joseph, and then Egypt, and they got delivered from slavery and the injustice of that system in, in Egypt. They got brought out to Sinai where they got connected with God, and God welcomed them into a relationship with him. So I want you to see that God gave them a just, holy grace-free relationship, uh, no, grace-filled, free relationship with him. He delivered them when they hadn't done anything. It's all about grace. And then, as far as maintaining that righteousness and that justice, he gave the, the ten words, the ten commandments that are focused on how do we talk about how do we keep just, how do we maintain that just relationship with God, and then how do we maintain a just relationship in our society, in this Israelite society? How do they maintain the justice that God had delivered them into? Because now they were free. But before long, the powerful could take over and, th and, and things could get changed and the, those balanced could tip so that some people were on top and some people were on the bottom. Right? 
So the law, the guidelines that were given were to maintain that just relationship that God had given them, that freedom that he'd given them. So they could walk in it, like walk in Yahweh's steps, the just one, the one who is impartial, the one who cares for the marginalized, the one who delivers people into freedom. So, um, so, so there's all this stuff in Scripture about, in the, from there, so the, ten, the main values are given in the Ten Commandments, and then there's all these explanations and details and case laws to, to explain how that would work in their situation, okay? And there's all this stuff about having a tabernacle and sacrifices and the priests doing that stuff and Levites so that they could maintain justice with God and have forgiveness, right? And then there's a bunch of stuff about how to maintain justice with each other and how to, okay, so it says do not murder. How do we deal with if somebody murders? How do we know if somebody murdered? How do we follow up if they, how do we keep innocent blood from polluting the land? That all gets followed up in the law, okay? In Deuteronomy, chapters 1 to 4 is justice in the past. He looks back at how God's delivered them and all the good things that have happened. The end of the book is justice in the future. How are you going to do this going forward? And in the middle, it gets spelled out. In the first section we talked about was a lot about justice with God and how to have justice with God. And then we got into the next section that talks about um, justice in society and among people. So um, remember, if you go where we were talking, we were just talking, among, among you there will be no hungry. Nobody's going to be hungry. There'll be no poor among you because you're going to have these tithes that you're going to give and those are going to be distributed to the Levites and to the, especially the widow and the orphan and the poor and the alien, the people who aren't us. They're also, among us, there's not going to be anybody who's hungry. We're going to eat together and there's going to be no poor. Debt is going to be dealt with every seven years. And there's going to be no sad because we're going to have feasts and everybody's invited to the priest. In fact, every man is required to go to the feast and eat together with God. We talked about eating together in these feasts. And the, this whole section is around this, this sacred rhythm of sevens, of Sabbaths and feasts and tithes and how, how they're, these sacred rhythm of time and place, and coming together, is going to be no hungry, no poor, and no sad among them. The next section, I didn't think it was about this, because I dug into it, it's, it's really about no one, including marginals, without judicial protection. The justice system in Israel is going to work for everybody. Everybody. All the time. So how did they figure that out? Of course, we... Well, we, have a do, we do have a good justice system. Does it work all the time, for every time, so that always the guilty are punished and never the innocent are punished and there's never innocent bloodshed? No. And it doesn't work in other countries either. Like Uganda and Sudan and Congo. Does Congo have a good justice system where everything gets... There is no justice. Okay. When a policeman stops you in Congo, you know he's going to do the just thing, right? Kidogo, yes. Give me a little, right? We were just watching a video, Nchiakitu um, Kidogo, which is the Kenyan thing, a place where just to give me a little bit, and it's, it's actually, a, uh, and it, you'll have to watch it, and you have to be a Kenyan probably to get it, but uh, it's, uh, people are always asking for bribes. Basically, you get stopped by the police, they want to they wanna bribe. They, they, and the, the song says, if you want chai, if you want tea, go to Lemuru. If you want tea, go to... Because they always say, could you give me a little tea? What they really mean is just a little money. And this is happening all the time in Kenya, where I live. Tanzania is a little better. Um, but have you guys ever been in another country where you had to figure out the legal system? Now, some of you are immigrants here, and you had to figure out what in the world is going on with the whole system. I mean, not just legally, right? It's a little hard, right? You ever been someplace else? Some of you who traveled from here to other places? And you're like, how does this work? The, the policeman stops you. You're like, okay, so I'll give you an example. A policeman stopped me. We're on the way back. And um, 
He asked for my license. Of course, I, I speak some Swahili to him. This is in Kenya. Yeah, I speak some Swahili to him. That usually helps. And very, very respectful. And, and usually that, that helps. And then he says, you have tinted windows. I'm like, yeah. He says, that's illegal. Really? He says, yeah. It's illegal. So I'm gonna, you're going to you're gonna have to go to court and, and uh, you're going to have to show up. And, and so I just said, okay. When, when's the court date? Where do I go? What do I do? I know what he was really wanting me to say was, well, could I just give you a little bit of money so we could be done with this? But I just like, okay, when's the court date? Where do I go? He said, well, Monday, you know, he gives me this whole... And then finally he says, ah, you know, go ahead. Because <laughs> he didn't really want me to go to court. He, he really wanted me to give him a little chai, a little tea. Um, and then I go home and I look up and sure enough, tinted windows are illegal since yesterday. The police just decided that tinted windows are illegal because they, uh, you know, because you could be hiding people in there, and so tinted windows have to all be off. So they're impounding cars here and there because anybody with tinted windows. Wow. The police commissioner just decided he was going to get all the tinted windows in Kenya. Now, fortunately, the things have improved in Kenya so that the Law Society of Kenya said, hey, the law says public vehicles can't have tinted windows. Therefore, private vehicles can. So if you guys get hauled into court, we'll defend you. And, and the police commissioner backed off and says, yeah, you know, maybe not. So the law switched and changed, and I, I didn't have to go to court. Um, but, yeah, other places, the law system is even worse. Um, we have some difficulties. So... Um, Pastor Mike was here with, with uh, the immigration system. How many of you went to Pastor Mike's hearings? Stand up if you were at one of Pastor Mike's hearings. Yeah, they were hours long. Pastor Mike, why don't you come in here? I know you're translating, but uh, come in here and say hi. Um, here he comes. Okay, so come on, come on up. So, so what did you think of the justice system? Put him on the spot. He didn't, I didn't ask him this at the time. Yeah, I think that the justice system is good here compared to uh, my country. And because, you know, uh, even the last elections, uh, the Supreme Court was corrupted. Mm -hmm. And they choose a, a person who was elected by people. They put another person. So if you go to the court system there, what happens? Oh, that is worse. <laughs> that is the worst one. First, first okay. Um, so you were telling us on the witness stand about being beaten for four days and uh, for, yeah. for wanting Jesus and, yeah. and encouraging people not to join the military, Yep. young people. Yeah. So he's just a campus crusade person trying to help young people and trying to encourage them not to join... The militias, and uh, and uh, that was enough to get him beaten and kidnapped for four days, and um, so. But in our system, it did take him seven years to get to a court date, and then the conclusion of the court date is it's safe to go back to Congo because they have a new president. It must be fine. Um, Eastern Congo, the system hasn't really changed, has it? No, nothing, um, nothing changed. So there's nothing a changed. there's an appeal going on. So, pray for Pastor Justin that he doesn't have to go back. Pastor Mike, sorry. Pray for Pastor Justin, too. You're okay. He is, Justin is a U.S. citizen. Um, but uh, Pastor, Pastor Mike. Anyway, um, thank you for that. We, um, but I was impressed in the hours we were sitting there with, with all the evidence that was done. I was impressed and unimpressed. I was unimpressed that it took us seven years to get to actually getting a decision so he could maybe go see his family or his family could maybe come see him. Because there's only four justices. It's not that available for all the asylum cases in not only our state but several surrounding states. Um, so here's the... Is judicial protection available for everyone, including the alien, the foreigner, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the people who don't have money? That's, okay, so how did they figure it out? 
Here is the key text in this passage. And everybody I read, all the commentaries, made this the key text. The, the text is actually sedekah, sedekah. So it's justice, justice. So you'll, you'll see in your bulletin, I, I put it in your, in your bulletin there. Um, Let true justice prevail. NIV says, follow justice and justice alone. So you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now this sounds suspiciously like Jesus' statement in Matthew 6.33, but seek first God's kingdom, even his righteousness or justice, and he will give you everything you need. Now I've, I've, uh, that could be and his righteousness or even his righteousness, and as we said, righteousness or justice can be, can be similar. Uh, they are similar. Just the English that gives us different connotations. So this says seek justice and justice alone. So take your Bibles out. Because um, we're digging in now. Um, come on the uncomfortable ride with me. Not just uncomfortable, but also hope-filled. Because there's a way that they figured it out. So we're going to enter into where they were at. So why did I ask you if you've ever been in an uncomfortable situation in a different country where things were different than you'd expected? That's exactly where the Israelites were at. They were moving into a new land. They had been all clustered around the tabernacle. You remember this, right? And Moses was their leader. And they set up this system of judges. And the judges got to answer things. There were judges for every 10 people. And then it went up to 50 and 100. And if there were any tough cases, they got brought to Moses who could advise on it. They were settled lower, but if they needed advice, they could go to Moses. Now Moses is going to die. They're not going to have Moses. How are they going to get justice? Not only that, they're going to be spread out in all these little villages all over the place. They can't just go into the tabernacle to get every situation or even the big situations figured out. And who's going to be the judges? Because that system's not exactly going to work anymore. So here's what I want you to notice. is We've mentioned it before, but Deuteronomy is applying God's truth to a new situation. So things are changing. The leadership is changing. All right? And then it's going to change again later, like when they get a king. It's going to change again later. And then in the, in the New Testament, Acts, they're going to apply Deuteronomy in a new way. That's why when we get to our situation and we say, well, it's different now. Sure. So how do we apply it in our situation? That's where we need the Holy Spirit's guidance. But the principles are still there. When we have this case study of them moving from traveling around in the desert, and here's how the law applies there, to we're moving into the land, we're going to settle in towns, and Moses is going to be gone. And yeah, Joshua's taking over, but Joshua's only a military leader. He's not a judge. He's not making laws. And the priest is doing part of what Moses did. So things are different. Leadership is different. How are they going to do it now? And for us, even if you haven't moved to another country, this country is changing. And the church is changing, and things are changing, and we're going to a new system. We're saying, how do we seek justice now, here, in our situation? If people don't follow God and they're, they're following idols, we can't just stone them, right? How do we seek one God in this situation? For, so... In other words, what I'm trying to say is this is called, big word is called contextualization. How does this word get applied to a new context right here, right now? Well, the first thing we have to do is go back to their context, feel what they were feeling. They're nervous. We're going into a new place. We don't know how to do this. We're not going to have the same leader. How are we going to figure out justice in this new situation? So this is the principle, and then God tells them how. Okay, chapter 16, verse 18. Chapter 16, verse 18. Um, so we talked about how this parallels the, that, that call for, to seek God's justice and society and justice before food and he'll give you all you need is parallel to that seeking justice. So um, this is a bit of outline for what's coming up here. So let's start with the, the principle Appoint judges and officials 
for yourselves from each of your tribes in all the towns Yahweh your God is giving you. Okay. In all the towns. So every town, every little village is going to have people. The elders are going to be there. And from the elders, they're going to choose some people who are going to be justice bringers. They're going to be kind of like judges, kind of like police, kind of like they're going to bring justice in that situation, in that town. And then he explains to them how to do it. You must judge the people fairly. There we have the, the justice words from Mishpat and Sedekah. Give justice justly. You must never twist justice or show partiality. And that is actually where, the, where this idea of Lady Justice having a blindfold comes because literally it says no faces. You must give justice with no faces. So when you give justice, you can't look and say, ooh, this is an important person in our town. I better be careful. Or, oh, this is a widow. Who cares? You have to pretend there is no faces. These are the facts of the case. It doesn't matter who it is. The law applies equally to all. That is our, our goal, our hope, right? Um, never accept a bribe, for bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. So money talks. And it says, don't let money talk. Don't let money determine how this works. Don't let there be bribes. Don't let people give things to twist things. Don't let so don't say, well, this person's rich, I better watch out. Or don't let that person say, you know, I've got some money, I'd like you to, you know, could you take care of this for me? Or maybe even, I've got a super expensive, high-powered lawyer that really knows how to do this for me versus somebody who doesn't. How, how, does, how does money, he says, don't let bribes, twist it, never accept a bribe. For bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. And then here's our, let true justice prevail so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So true justice is going to let us live. It's going to let us occupy the land and live in this great place that he's prepared for us. By the way, if you need a Bible, there's one right in front of you. I'm, I'm using NLT. That's NIV. You can compare with me. Um, so the point of this section is a fair judiciary. An accessible judiciary, too. Notice, every town has people. Now, I want you to think about, that. We're, there's more details farther in here that I'll, I'll just pull in here, but here's how it works. You, you bring a case to the city gate. That's where all the, everything happens. Everybody's at the city gate. Everybody goes through the city gate. Anything happened at the city gate, everybody knows, right? Because that's, that's where everybody goes. So you bring a case there, and you say, this person did that, and therefore, and now, you are the accuser. And then there needs to be two or three other witnesses who come and say, yes, I saw him do it. I'm an eyewitness. This isn't just gossip. I saw it happen. Okay? And the judges need to decide. And I want you to notice that this is a village. Everybody knows everybody. And it's not just something that happens off in the courthouse that nobody knows anything about, really, with people who don't know each other, bringing evidence with lawyers who don't know each other. No. This is face-to-face -face with your neighbors. I saw him do this. And then it gets, it gets down to, okay, if this is really a bad thing, so you say this person murdered that person, you're the accuser, then you need to pick up a rock and say, yes, he did, and... I'm going to kill him because we don't want murderers. We want innocent blood being shed. We need to take care of that. That would be hard to do, wouldn't it? And it would keep you from false accusations. Here's what would make it even more difficult, false accusations. Later on, it picks up the, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You say, this person's a rapist, but it turns out they're not. The penalty for rape comes to you as the accuser. This person stole, so we need to give him, you know, he need to take three cows from him because he stole three cows. Turns out, no, that's not true. It's three cows from you. That would kind of 
tamper down false accusations, don't you think? You're looking in the eye of your neighbor. You're going to have to carry out the penalty if it's true, but you want the community to be safe. So if it's a murderer, you want to deal with a murderer. But you get what I'm saying? This is a very um, personal, but also impartial, no bribes kind of a system. It's not just a system out there. And here is the other thing. Who is this directed to? So we talked about last time how to be a leader, how to be a follower. Throughout this passage, who is it written to? It says, you appoint judges in your towns. That means you, 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 and you are responsible for justice in this society. I don't want to do that. I'm like, you know, let the police deal with it. Let the courts deal with it. It'll be fine. I don't want to think about it. Right? The Bible doesn't let us off the hook. It says you are responsible for justice in your community. You are responsible for justice in this church and in your city. And you need to figure out how to make sure that justice happens. Now, there's some people here. So when we went to support Pastor Mike, that was great. We were there to make sure justice was happening. When we have people in our, in our congregation who are in law enforcement, who are, um, Felix is guarding at the courthouse, and Brenda is in the courthouse dealing with tough family law situations. We're thankful that you're out there doing that, helping with that. And we need to figure out how to support you and get info from you. How, how do we seek justice? And how do we do it in the church? Um, so, judges in each town and advisory judges as needed. So, now, what's interesting is the first, then it gives an example, a case study, of what kind of case might come up. And the case it brings is never set up an Asherah pole beside the altar you build for the Lord your God. So it's about idolatry. What? Idolatry? Serving other gods? Is that a justice issue? Yeah. In Israel, that's a huge justice issue. Because God is king, and if we're serving other kings, that's, that's a coup d'etat. That's rebellion. So that's why we have to be inside of their thing and not project back how it would work for us, all right? But that's the foundation of justice. And it talks about how there has to be two or three witnesses. It says investigate the matter thoroughly. Make sure that everything is... And it's a, a clear situation that you have to investigate it thoroughly, two or three witnesses, because somebody can't just say, you know, I hate my neighbor. You know, he's messing with my wife. I'm just going to accuse him of being, serving other gods. No. It's not just like you can get off with... And, we, and that's part of why we got this bad name for, for heretics and, and burning people at the stake and stuff, because people used it for personal vendettas, right? And, and other kinds of things. They, they went against their, their enemies with it. But here it's, it's very clearly done. And then there is an advisory court. So he, here's one of our issues. We learned from this to set up a lot of our systems, but we don't want to read back into it. So this sounds sort of like an appeal court, but it's not. It's not. Nobody gets to appeal their case. The local judge and the community, who are all standing around there like the jury, said, okay, this is, this is the case. That's it. But if the local judges are like, I don't know, was this really idolatry or not? I mean, a golden calf, but they said it was for Yahweh. Is that, is that idolatry or is that... Um, we have an example of that. They, they, they set up an altar on the other side of, the, of Israel and of the Jordan in a little bit later. And then the priest actually decided, no, it wasn't, they were just reminding themselves that they were part of Yahweh. It wasn't really that they were, it was an idle competitive altar. In other words, it goes to advisory court, not appeal. The judgment of the local court is final. Unless the judges need some help. Then they go to who? They go to the priests and the Levites. Because why? They know the law. The Levites' job is to teach what God has said, what the law says. And so they go to, the, to them and they find out, how should we decide this? And it says, no one should be arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge. 
Um, so now, the next piece is interesting, and, and it's talking about a king. So it, it looks like this is talking about different officers, and so there's the priest, and there's the judge, and there's the kinda, but the focus is on a just judiciary. And what, what happens with the king is it talks about, now, when you, verse 14, 17, 14, you're about to enter the land Yahweh your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. Now, in the other nations around us, the king was the judge, the final authority. The king decided what happened. And we see that even in Israel, it slipped into that. Solomon is deciding whether, whether this person or that person should get the, the king and and David is deciding, David's son said, well, if you took your case to me, then I'd settle it a lot better than David is doing. It has become that the king is the final judge. But that's not what it says here. It says he's not supposed to be judging. That's why the king is brought in. The king is not supposed to be making judgments and justice. The king, and in fact, it limits, it says, if this happens... You don't need a king. You have a king. Yahweh's king. So it's very interesting how this is sort of dividing up um, the division of powers that we have in, in our constitution, which was a great idea. Why did we do that? Because we got tired of the king. The king in England was deciding everything. He knew, knew nothing about what was going on, and he was not giving just decisions. So we said, we're going to divide up powers. We got that from here, but that's not exactly what this is saying. Because where is the legislative branch on Mount Sinai? God is the legislature. He already delivered the law through Moses. We have the law. There's no provision made for making new laws. And what about the executive branch? God is the king. He executes what needs to happen. The justice branch is what we're talking about here. And the king is not supposed to take over justice. So it's kind of a division of powers. Even if you get a king, don't let him. And then it says something else here. It goes on and says, you must have the man that God chooses to, and did a great job of this last time, so I'm not going to go way in depth on this, but you, he has to be the one the Lord chooses, a fellow Israelite from among you. And that's the key thing. He has to be one of your brothers, and he has to not think he's better than any of his brothers. And the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself, or send his people to buy horses, for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. What is horses? Horses pull chariots. Chariots are the tanks of the day. This is, you were, he's not supposed to have military superiority. He's not supposed to have a lot of military power. He's not supposed to go off getting horses and, build, and buying tanks, because he's supposed to have limited military power. And then, he's not supposed to take wives for himself, because they will turn his heart away from the Lord, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. So we're going to have a series this fall on money, sex, and power. This is kind of like limiting money, sex, and power. Just money, just sex, just power. We're going to talk about this fall. But the sex piece here of the, of the wives is that's not quite accurate because why do you have a lot of wives? Not because he's got such an amazing sex drive. It's actually because he wants to have a lot of kids. It's really about you marry... From that tribe, you marry from that nation, the daughter of that king. You marry the Pharaoh's daughter, as Solomon did. And then you got peace with all these people because they wouldn't want to invade. And, you know, their, their daughter's there. It's diplomatic power, political power. So he's got really limited military power, really limited economic power, really limited diplomatic power, and even the display of all my wives, that, that showing off stuff. So this king is really limited and more than that, he's supposed to copy for himself a body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Read it daily. Have it with him all the time. So he'll learn to fear the Lord his God and obey all his decrees. It'll prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he's above his fellow citizens. And the result is you'll have generations of great leadership. You see, the king is not above the law. Every place else, the king is the law. So the whole idea of, in, this came, became popular through a Rex Lex Lex Rex. You know, that, that there was a book written, Lex Rex. The law is king. Always before it was the king is the law. 
king gets to decide whatever he wants. He gets to make the laws. He gets to, to execute them. But no, the law is king. And in our, that's the way we're copying this when we said, you know, the Constitution is actually the law. And the laws tell even the president, the legislatures, the judicial, what they're supposed to do. And they can't decide, you know, that, that, I don't think that's good. No. But here, God is king. God has given his will, and they are underneath of that. You, you get what I'm saying? So this king is not going to judge things. And he's going to have limited power so he can't take over and say, you got you local justice, don't, you, you don't know anything. Because he won't have the power to do it. Um, it goes on and talks about the priests and the Levites. Um, and how they are advisory judges. The interesting thing is it talks a lot about what they're supposed to eat. And it says, The Lord himself is their special possession just as he promised them. These are the parts the priests may claim as their share from the cattle sheep. It's their mishpat. It's their right. It's the just thing for them to have. And it's actually the choice parts of now, why is it so concerned in this context about them eating well? Because they're bringing justice. They're saying what the law is. They're judging things. If they are supplied by tithes, and you come and say, hey, if you decide the case for me, I'll give you my sheep. He's like, I'm full. Thanks anyways. Right? If they're provided through the tithes, they'll be taken care of so they won't be able to be bribed. Now, this does apply to, to, to uh, you know, pastors and, and others who are doing work for the kingdom and are dependent like the Levites. Um, they need, Paul says they need to be supplied well, and it's a matter of justice. We, we often, I'll admit, we often kind of like, hey, you know, we can underpay them a little bit, and they, they should work some extra hours and, because... It's a matter of justice. But also, how do we decide which pastors get paid what? How do we decide which people in society get paid what? How much the guard at the courthouse gets paid compared to the lawyer at the courthouse compared to the judge at the courthouse? How do we decide that? Does the Bible say anything about that? Just payment is an important principle here. And then it goes on and talks about the priests, about the prophets. The prophets are there to maintain uprightness. Because you know what? Sometimes the king got off track. The, the, the priests even got off track. And then, and then what did God do? He sent the likes of Elijah, right? To call him out, the likes of Nathan. David, you are king, but you are wrong. Whoa. Nobody tells the king he's wrong. But God's the king, and he sent somebody to say, you're wrong. And that was a tough spot, but this was a way to maintain justice by sending prophets to maintain the word of God and the law. Um, the cities of refuge is the next section. Why cities of refuge? They're within a day's journey. So everybody, we don't want to spill innocent blood, right? But I killed your brother and now you're going to come after me. I, I just, you know, the axe head flew off and he died. I'm sorry. Well, I'm mad. I'm going to kill you. No, you run to the city of refuge, and it's only a day away walking and maybe closer if you're running. Um, you get there, and then they judge. They protect you so that no innocent blood is shed. And they make sure no innocent blood is shed. Um, and, but then, if you're guilty, no, they give you back because you're a murderer, and they want to make sure no innocent blood is shed. And then there's things about killing in war. And we look at this and we say, oh, that's so disgusting. They're wiping out these, these cities and they're, they're doing all this stuff that's so barbaric and primitive. And how could they do that? And they're, they're taking um, women captive and bringing them home and making them wives. And that's so... But check it out. Tell me what happens in Congo. Do soldiers respectfully treat women in wartime? No, rape, mass rape is a thing. This is actually guarding what happens to the defeated women. Said, if you see a beautiful woman, you can't rape her. If you see a beautiful woman, you can make her your wife, but you've got to give her a period of mourning, and then you've got to keep her as your wife. You can never divorce her. She's got to be a full wife. That's very different from rape and war. 
So it seems barbaric, but actually it's guidelines during war. And in that time, it's amazing. Okay, we, we look at this and we say, they're so barbaric. They're, they're just wiping people out. And they're killing. They're having these wars. How many people die through abortion? Here. How many people die through wars that we started? I looked it up. 244,000 in Pakistan, Iraq, and Afghanistan, according to Brown University. Civilians as a result of those wars. But we're not paying attention to that, right? We have military superiority, economic superiority. We can do whatever we want. We haven't limited... I'm as uncomfortable with this as you are. <laughs> um, what is... how? <laughs> so how is God going to help us, okay? It talks about unsolved murders. They had to take care of it. If there's an unsolved murder, they had to deal with it so that the land could be cleansed from innocent blood. What do we do with all the innocent blood? In our society... Well, one thing, let me just say, one thing we need to do is we need to realize that this was written to you. It was not just written to judges and kings and politicians and those people. Because I'd like to wash my hands and say, oh, you know, those people, those politicians, those, those judges just aren't fair, those whoever. It's our responsibility. Okay, no, we're not in Israel. We don't have authority to, to put in laws about blasphemy and whatever else. But we are in a democracy where we get to vote, we get to have an influence, we get to write letters. We are, um, and I don't know how to do it. What happened in Israel? You know, they get, said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king over us. So we can be proud that we've got a king like the other nations and that's going to judge for us. So they got Saul and then David and then Solomon and they took over the courts. And what did Solomon do? He got lots of wives. He got lots of chariots and horses. He got lots of silver and gold. And he started taxing people and requiring them to, to serve in, for a month, a year. And, and what was the result? Idolatry and oppression of the poor. And from Solomon, it went downhill. And the prophets kept saying, no, no, no. Return to the law. Make God king. No idolatry, no oppressing the poor. Ahab, you can't just take that field just because you're the king. God gave that to him. That's an unjust court. And then they started saying, but someday there is going to come a, a king on David's throne. And this is where Andrew really gave us hope, right? There was a king who really served the way that God adapted his plan to take in the king and, and make Jesus the king. There was a, a, a real priest who brought justice and brought the final sacrifice. There was a prophet like Moses. Now, there were prophets like Moses along the way. And there's some great guidelines in here, by the way, for the a prophet's going to speak for Yahweh. His, his words are going to be fulfilled. He's going to be like Moses, humble and all that stuff like Moses. See, um, anyway, I can't go into that. But um, and I, I want to bring up one other. Um, this is this is even maybe more uncomfortable. First Corinthians six. Y'all are like, this is Old Testament. What about? Who cares, right? How do we apply it in new situations? We said we got to have a new context. First Corinthians six. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? We were just thinking we're going to reign with him. And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? 
Why not let yourselves be cheated? If we were really depending on God, it would be okay. But if money is our God, it's not okay, right? Instead, you yourselves are the one who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. So, folks, there's some kind of application to us. Somebody was telling me, uh, maybe I mentioned it, that they said, you know, we got married in the church. Why can't we get divorced in the church? How come when things go awry, we go to the... When, when families are struggling, how come the, the foster care system and the other things have to come in and, and fix that? If we are saying, well, that's for them. And if we are suing each other as Christians, what? We have no wisdom? We have no God who can decide these things for us? I don't know how that works. I'm not a counselor. I can't fix your marriage. But someplace there are some wise people here who can help us with our marriage and our parenting and our suits and our financial issues and our other issues. Now, we have a legal system that we have to work in, okay? But are there some things? But here's the thing. We would have to submit ourselves to the church. We're happy to submit ourselves to the church until I see an advantage by going to court. Right? And then <laughs> and then it gets it gets dicey. Right now, um, there I can give you lots of examples. Anyways, I don't even know where to pray about that. Think about that. How could we help each other with our situation so we didn't have to go to court? I think we have some wise people who have actually done this. We could do more. If we're willing to say, you know what, I think God can take care of this. Um, so, do justice. We talked about Brian Stevenson, and uh, he's he's talked he's written his Just Mercy book and talked about how everybody doesn't get f- fair treatment, at least in the South where he's working. African American men and children often don't get fair treatment. Children are are executed as murderers, um, and he's he's worked on that. Now he he went to Harvard Law. He could have done a lot of other things, but he decided to try to take care of the marginalized in his society. And here is what, when he, he spoke to us, he talked about the power of proximity. We were just talking about how in, this happened in the, ga- the city gates, the power of proximity, looking each other in the eye and bringing justice. If we can do it here, among us, we know what the situations are. We can help each other out more than somebody distant. Now, I'm glad there's some counselors and other people who can help us out who have this expertise. Um, be uncomfortable. Well, I fulfilled that one today. I mean, it's all uncomfortable, including myself. Um, you got to go where it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to change the narrative and see things in a different way, and you have to keep hope. And I think Brian Stevenson is an example of hope. I think Brenda's an example of hope. I think there's people who are doing stuff that are, you guys are out there doing things in your situation, but we need to help, help the system work with greater justice in our church and out there. Um, I wanted to give you another example. Kibu, Governor Kibutha Kibwana also went to Harvard for law in Georgetown and London and um, came back to be a, uh, he was a professor of law in Nairobi, and, um, but he was not much of a Christian. He, he was kind of a Christian, pretty, pretty nominal, um, but not really a Christian and kind of a drunk. And uh, he was not impressed with the church because the church was in the pocket of the government and the government was unjust. And he saw that things should be different. But when the church started to pay attention and started to, to advocate for just policies and started to push um, for, for better justice in society, he got interested. And, he got, and they allied together with the National Council of Churches there and the, and the other things that were... And they've pushed Kenya toward a multi-party system. And it actually, yeah, it's been messy. But some, some improved situations. And they've, they've been... But there's some improvement. And... So Kibutha Kibwana came and was my student in the missions department at, at Negist, and um, he fit this criteria of the kind of a just person. Now, he was also going to, he was also in the government at the time. He used to be minister of lands at that time. He was advisor on constitutional stuff for the president. Um, and he would always greet me with shikamon. Shikamon molimu, right? which is the greeting of respect for a higher person. I was always like, 
your honorable Kibbutz Kiwana, <laughs> Professor Kibbutz Kiwana, um, I think I should be saying Shikamoriu, but he would always greet me that way. Um, he really is very humble. And he decided, you know what, they're going to spread out the, 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 pow the power to the, to the counties, kind of like governors. And uh, he said, I'll get out of the, the, um, the national stage. I'll be able to have something. When he got there, um, the, the people in the county all wanted to have all the money themselves, the, the local people in the county. And uh, so they tried to impeach him because he was saying, no, the, it's going to go to the people. And, and now every, he's really popular because he built a hospital and equipped the whole thing for like no money compared to anybody else because he actually, and he's got other people overseeing all the procurement process. He's doing all kinds of stuff. So this is, um, this is, a, is a, in fact, everybody wants him to be president now because they're seeing he's actually doing something. And he said, he came, so he, the top picture is him speaking at the commencement they just had at the university I was at where he graduated from. And he was talking about how as Christians, we need to declare that we're Christians and expect people to hold us accountable for how we're Christians. And we need to follow biblical values. And, and he said, and Christian institutions need to have transparency and accountability. By the way, saying even to the college that was there. So he's an example of, so you, can, you all can give lots of examples of corrupt African politicians, and we can talk about corrupt American politicians, but there's hope. We need to be training. AIU has now got a law a, a, a law degree. We have been very slow to do that. But International Justice Mission and others are doing some stuff about this. Here's the thing. We tend to get focused on particular things. We want to preach the gospel and save people. Yes. We want to heal people and plant hospitals and do that. Yes. We also need to be impacting the legal system and bringing justice. And I don't know how to do it. But we have some people who do if we can work together. We want to impact the education system. And now, sometimes we start saying that, we talk like we're going to get power and we're going to fix things. I want you to notice that every one of these is about these people being completely dependent on God. So the judges were completely dependent on God to eat and also on the gifts from the people. The king, he didn't get to collect power, so he had to be dependent on God. It was all about depending on God and that, folks, is our hope. Because we can depend on a God who not only has power and love, but he's just. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, that's the motivation to do what? To bring justice, to maintain justice. Could the, could the uh, worship team come? Um, so, just justice. Follow justice. And justice alone. Seek first the kingdom of God, the just society that God wants us to have here among us. And as you go out there, seek it not only personally in your relationships, but even in the system. And I don't know how to do that. I'm going to be honest. We have some hints. Some of you have some other hints. But one of the things I want you to tell, I want, I want you to, can we go back here? understand what was really happening there so that we can see new ideas because people are yelling at us all the time about how they think they're going to make things just. Could we go back here? Could we go to Yahweh and say, Yahweh, you are the just one. How can we, how can I in my workplace bring more justice. How can I worship you and be more in a just relationship with you? So um, I'm sorry I don't have all the answers for you, but uh, I think God does. And I think he knows how to move us. And I've seen nations change. I've seen counties change. I've seen people do things. That, and and um, anyway, we could, I give you more examples, but let's let's sing, um, and we're going to be led by our lawyer. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that's a good thing. I was saying it was a good thing. Um, so we're going to sing. The, if you could stand up.
Let me just pray as we, as we prepare here. Lord, we want what you want. And Lord, we don't, well, we'd like to be comfortable, <laughs> but we really want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see righteousness and justice happen in every sphere. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves. Lord, we want to share the good news that you have of a new kingdom that you are finally going to fulfill. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to be the ultimate justice bringer, priest and prophet and king, and that we get to follow you into this. We don't have what it takes, but we want to not only be right with you personally or in our personal relationships, but we want righteousness and justice to prevail. So please do that in our entire lives, individually, together, as we're out through this week in day camps and, and our, our workplaces. God, help us to, to find you there, to follow you and pursue you and what you're up to in that place. God, I pray that you'd help our mouths, our thoughts, our actions to be seeking your kingdom and your justice. Amen. Let's sing. Um, come on up. Let's pray together. If you're in a situation where you need to know how to bring justice, you see injustice, but you don't know what to do about it, I want you to come up. Let's pray together. And the rest of you I'm going to release to go and um, with a blessing to, to seek God's kingdom. Go in the name of Yahweh, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, to seek his kingdom and his justice in every place that you go by the power that he has given, the example that he has given, and his presence going with you.